Okay, so we had a text message that has come through uh, in reference to the story we shared earlier of a 78-year-old woman who was going to uh, church for, I'm assuming, early morning prayer meeting, mm. uh, quarter past six in the morning, which she has done pretty much every day for the last 30 years. Mm. That's that's her job. You know, this is, this is how churches work. You know, you have volunteers, you have members who do certain roles. And uh, I guess she was the person to, you know, Go in, switch the heaters on, switch the lights on, all that kind of stuff, get ready for the event. And, of course, she was beaten nearly to death and uh, her stuff wasn't even really stolen or anything. No cash was taken, no phone was taken. It was kind of taken about 400 metres down the street and then just left. Mm. It's like, what kind of evil is that, you know? Beating a woman, beating an older woman, beating a person who's going to worship God. Mm. Special kind of evil. Anyway, somebody wanted to comment, the evil in the world is beyond measure, and yet the Holy Spirit is still trying to reach all he can before leaving humanity forever. There will be only two types of people before the Lord's return, one filled with the Holy Spirit and the other filled by Satan's spirit. We can't even imagine those days without God's protection. A frightening thought. Yeah, amen. You know, you stop and think about that, and that is the point at which suddenly we all become super thankful for Psalms 91. Yeah. And we're already seeing, like, I, I, man, I, our interview with Eddie and McClintock uh, on Monday. Yes, was 13 a, people will die today because of their faith. And this is, yeah, this trend is continuing. Because upwards. of their Christian faith. Yes, yes, of course. 13 people will die today because they're Christians. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, we're seeing the world heading this direction. Actually, like, oh, yeah, we had a meeting last night. Uh, we I talked about it yesterday morning on on radio. We talked about how uh, that we were going to get together the young people in our Newcastle region and discuss the best ways to to uh, share Jesus with you know the different young people, the different young adults in our context. And uh, it, it was brought up something that we had already discussed. Yeah, you know, at, at our local university here in Newcastle, um, proselytizing. So sharing the word of God, um, calling anyone to, to repentance, you know, through Bible study, that kind of thing, um, is, is prohibited, um, for, for a number of different reasons, uh, that, that were brought up, uh, because it could potentially cause offense with people who are living lifestyles inconsistent with the Bible and whatnot. And, you know, uh, we were discussing this issue and, we ultimately just saw the conclusion, like we just came to the conclusion that the reason these people are doing this, like, um, you know, they're, they're, they're sitting within the veil of, oh, because it could cause offense or whatever. But ultimately the motivation is that people are out there trying to thwart the sharing of the word of God. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like that's where we're at. And, you know, you look at the new anti-vilification legislation that is coming through in Victoria. Mm. So Victoria just doesn't stop. And, you know, now they have uh, laws that they are, you know, putting before the state parliament down there where, um, you know, in the past the laws were, if you vilify, these are the penalties. Yes. Now the laws are, if you say something that is likely to incite mm. vilification. Which then, like, the standards. What's the definition of that? Yeah, well. Mm-hmm. You know, that's really wild stuff. So basically that is completely shutting down any level of free speech whatsoever yes. at all because anything you say can come under that definition. And that was like the that was the thing we were talking about with, with Newcastle Uni is that like, you know, um, 
we're not going out of our way to put ourselves in hot water. We're, we're just followers of Jesus. That's right. Um, and, but it's not only now that this rule has already existed for some time, but now the accusations are flying like, um, that, oh, hey, you know, people are bringing up, oh, we should, uh, discipline this group of people because we believe that they're breaching rules, you know? Um, and it's, it's just a tough situation to be in. And it's something that we're finding, you know, uh, as we talked with Etienne and we're seeing that not really in Western nations, um, that, that level of persecution, but it's, it's coming. Like That's right. Human nature is the same in a Western nation as it is anywhere else. We kind of mm-hmm. like to think that uh, because we are wealthier that we are more civilised. No, we're not more no. civilised. Human nature is exactly the same. We just don't have the same level of opportunity. Yes. That's the difference. Mm-hmm. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1 and 2. All right, and the Bible says, Arise, Jerusalem, let your light shine for all to see, for the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. Okay, what? So here's the question that comes out of this verse. Um, what's this verse talking about? Mm-hmm. What principle do we see at work here? That is seen throughout the Bible, and what hope does it offer? This is getting to you know the, as as you're talking about a, a theme that. Oh, by the way, you missed verse two. Oh, did you tell me? I don't think you told me to read verse two. I can read verse two. Let's yeah, go. Yeah, well, let's read it. Anyway. <laughs> Whether I said okay. it or not, let's read it. Um, darkness as black as night covers all the nations of the earth, but the glory of the Lord rises and appears over you. All right. Now, we, now we've now we got both of those verses. Mm-hmm. Now we can talk about it. This is essentially just talking about witnessing um, and the work that God can do through people to reveal himself. Um, it's talking about, you know, Jerusalem as a city within the nation of Israel um, and telling them to shine their light, to show what God has done through and for them to the nations around them to attract them to him. This is like, you know, um, you know, we uh, see that in the New Testament where, you know, Jesus gives the parable. He's like, oh, don't put your light under a bushel, but let your let your light shine out. Uh, the, the classic uh, children's song, let your little light shine like this. uh theme has been running all throughout the Bible. And it's interesting because, you know, light shines the brightest, the darker it gets. Yeah, of course. And you appreciate it the more. And I kind of feel that, you know, in Western countries, we have been living in uh, a society that has been created by Christianity. Yes. Okay. That's, it, oh, that is interesting. It's a simple reality. Mm-hmm. And so Christians living in Western countries our light has not been as bright as what it has been in the past because there's been a lot of light because our society Mm -hmm. has been created by Christianity. Mm -hmm. Now we're starting to see that unravel. And it seems to me that as darkness grows, the, you know, people are talking about the polarization of our world and in many ways that's a very, very bad thing, but in some ways it is allowing our light as Christians to shine that little bit brighter Mm. and become more relevant because now we have a point of difference and it's important to have a point of difference in our world. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Yeah, so I mean, if you go back 50 years or so, what was the, you know, what were the major points of difference you would see between the way a Christian lived his life and the way that a secular person lived their life? Oh, definitely. Especially like. It wasn't, it just wasn't as big as what it was in the past. It wasn't. You know, you take a statistic, I I believe it was from the 1960 census here in Australia and 
70% of all people are weekly attending church versus now it's, I think it's they if like 55, 60% of people identify as Christian, but it's down to, I think it's less than 10%. Yeah, around about 10, 12% who attend church. Yeah. Uh, back in Federation, it was 95% Christian. Yeah, well, You know, and so when you, when you look at that, it's like, okay, this, our society, what we have as society, our values, um, our culture, mm. you can argue it as long and hard as you want. You cannot avoid the fact that it was created by Christianity. 100%. And that's why Christian like values often yield success in the Western world. Yes. Um, even when they're held by people who aren't necessarily Christian, but just doing things that comply and it, they just help you. They're just a benefit to you. Now, you can then take that and go back, let's say, uh, 2,000 years to the time of Christ mm-hmm. or, you know, the, the, the decades just after the time of Christ when Christianity was this tiny, small religion in Asia that was starting to spread and you compare the point of difference between Christianity and the world back then, the point of difference was massive. Yeah. Of course. It was off the charts. Mm. And so, you know, Christianity's light shone so much brighter. Mm. And so the more secular our world becomes, the brighter our light will shine, the more relevant it will become because when there's not a huge point of difference, it just doesn't seem to have that much relevance. Mm. Mm. But when there is a massive point of difference, then Christianity has something to offer that the secular society just no longer has. And I think that's ultimately because, like, as humans, it's hard to be motivated to change, right? And why would you take something, unless you're an incredibly motivated person, why would you take on a way of life that is seems from the outside just marginally better than what you already have? You know, this is the comfortability of the Western world. And if people are already comfortable and, and Christianity is something that offers ultimate comfort, then it's like, oh, man, why would I do that? And th- but that's why, you know, when, when we look at the, the success of Christianity within um, third world countries and struggling nations where there's, you know, a lot of struggle, but also a lot of, you know, cultural difference to Christianity. And then we see Christianity explode in those areas. It's because of that. They see that difference. They yes. identify their needs and they're like, this is something I can get behind. So if, if anything, that kind of makes us like excited for the future in the Western world. If, if it goes the way of secularization and then we can really give people benefit through our religion and they can see it. That's right. And that's fantastic. We'll be visible again. Yes. Highly yeah. visible. And this is one of the things we need to be more visible than what we are. Somebody just texted through and said, you know, why are people like sheep going to the slaughter? Why isn't the population of Victoria or Australia, for that matter, um, you know, stand, allowing these laws to be made? An evil law is evil for all and all will suffer, even if it is aimed at Christians specifically. And, you know, you, you sort of see that and it's like, all right, our time has come. Mm. And the reason that we're not doing anything is because we haven't needed to for so many decades. Mm. And it's taking us a little while to wake up. Okay, so we're living in New South Wales, praise God. Um, and sorry, Victorians. Uh, we're living in Newcastle, the best city on earth. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> we're, just a, we're just a little bit biased here at the moment, but that's okay. Uh, we don't have this anti-vilification legislation and we don't have the anti-conversion laws that they mm. have in Victoria. And so we have a lot more freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of religion that, uh, that they don't have in Victoria. But the simple reality is that it's a matter of time until it comes here. My question that I put to Christians today is what are you going to do? Are you going to wait until the legislation is proposed? 
mm. and then react to it? Mm. Or are you going to take the initiative and do something now to see that something is done and to be a voice now, to be a voice today and so, and say, stand up and say, no, we do offer a, a point of difference as Christians and we're not scared to stand up for that point of difference and we want that point of difference protected. Um, because it's, it's, you know, it's part of what makes for good, healthy society. Even that, like, one of the most, uh, powerful tools of genuinity is consistency in character and action. I like that word, genuinity. Yes. Uh, is that, is that, is that incorrect? I'm pretty sure that's a word. I don't care. I'll take it. <laughs> um, yeah, one of the most powerful tools in genuinity um, is or genu- genuineness, um, genuineness is consistency in action and character. And I feel like if we're doing the work now, uh, just in our personal lives of living the way that God has called us to, when these rules change, um, people will be able to, and, and we don't change. When these rules change and we don't change, people will be able to see the power of God working in our lives. I, I think particularly like of, um, you know, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, um, that they stand for what is right. But even in a sense that like you can be just kind of cast as a radical, if you take that stand once bad things come, it's, it's more likely that people can just kind of, I don't know cast you off as some kind of radical and say, oh, you're just doing this for attention. You're just doing this because it's, it's trendy to be, to be, you know, against the tide. But no, we need to, we just need to live our lives how God has called us to now. And when those rules come, when those authorities come to impede us from doing so, um, it'll be a powerful thing to our witness because the people that we know around us, our friends and our family who aren't Christian, they'll see that, oh, Lawson is or Lyle is, or whoever is a genuine, loving, great person who is following his God, no matter what, this is his life. This is his calling. This is his or her. This is what they stand for. Um, And that is such an attractive thing for people to see about our, our religion, our beliefs and our faith in God. Like when people can see, Oh man, this person is willing to stand for this through thick and thin, whether it's convenient or inconvenient. Um, they're willing to to take this on. That's powerful. It is. It's incredibly powerful. Let's go back to the passages that we're looking at right here. Mm-hmm. And okay, so let's let's. I guess um, if we just summarize very briefly, well, let's go back through them. Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory mm-hmm. of the Lord has arisen upon you. Then the Bible goes on and says, "Darkness covers the earth; gross darkness the people. The Lord rises upon you, and His glory appears over you." So we've got God calling us to arise and shine. Then we've got, well, why are we called to arise and shine? Because gross darkness is covering the people. And then we go on to verse three. If you could read for us verse three, yeah. Yeah, sure. All nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. Okay, so who's that talking about? This is a, another illustration to Christ that we see in the book of Isaiah. Absolutely, Bible. because, you know, you sort of look in the context and you think, okay, maybe it's talking about us. No, 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 no. no. This is talking about Jesus Christ. Now, certainly Jesus shining through us, but this is talking about Jesus Christ. Yes, and uh, when the Bible talks about Jesus, you know, the nations will come to your light, kings to the brightness of your dawn. Mm. You kind of, it, it makes you feel that little bit sad that, you know, the Jews in the time of Christ, 
Mm. Is the message of this? Yes. And when they heard, you know, kings to the brightness of your dawn, nations coming to your light, they're like, yes, that's after we conquer them. (laughs) Yeah, well. You know? Mm. Uh, Conquered people, occupied people kind of don't really relate well to their conquerors. Yes. Stockholm Syndrome doesn't happen for everyone. No. In fact, the vast majority of people aren't affected by it. Particularly when you look at it on a national basis. I mean, you look at France during the Second World War, they were, you know, they were conquered and they were occupied very, very early on in the Second World War. Mm Mm-hmm. But did the French people ever stop fighting? There was, there, you know, there was there was collaborators, and there was, you know, the the Vichy French and so forth that um, that did collaborate. But the French people in general, mm. they never accepted Nazism. They never bought into it, mm. and they never stopped fighting. Mm. And uh, you kind of think, okay, is this how uh, did the did the Jews in the time of Jesus really think this is how we're going to win the whole world to Christ? We're going to <laughs> crush them and conquer them and say, now you all must. Become worshippers of Yahweh. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Um, numbers and... Yeah, we've yeah 1-800-324-843 or 0491-064-669. Back to Isaiah chapter 60. Yes. So we've got these passages here. And we were looking at them. This is a messianic prophecy, and we kind of wonder, you know, how did they actually get this wrong in that they looked at this passage and gone, yeah, you know what, this is going to be when we go out and smash the whole world. <laughs> Everybody's going to become worshippers of God because we've got a sword at their throat. <laughs> That's yeah, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. Uh, but Jesus coming to this world and giving his life for us, that actually did work. Yeah, well. And that's why you and I as Australians, mm. think about how amazing that is. Think about, you know, the disciples. Think about the Jewish people back in the time of Christ. You know, when Christianity first started, it started as a Jewish religion. Yeah, wow. And it was just as exclusive yeah. as Judaism for the first three and a half years. Mm. Think about them at that particular time and saying, yeah, you know what? 2,000 years from now, there's going to be a massive number of followers of Jesus Christ in a place called Australia. That doesn't even exist yet. Because they, they had no idea. Like, they didn't know Australia existed. That's crazy. Uh, they may, may have done. The Phoenicians may have been here. You never know. Oh, that's, that's, a, that's a conspiracy theory. Like, oh, I please. love my conspiracy theories. You know, that's an awesome one. The Phoenicians, the Chinese could have been here. Yeah, they could have been. They could have been. Anyone could have been here, Lyle. Well, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> then how do you know? No, but we imagine. We imagine yeah, that this was the case. It sure. was um, highly, extremely unlikely that they'd ever heard of this particular place. Mm. But imagine if they could have done mm. and known that we would be worshipping Jesus Christ. Yeah, wow. Amen. Okay, so see, darkness covers the earth. Gross darkness is over the people. The Lord rises upon you. His glory appears over you, and then in verse 3 we've got the nations will come to your light, the kings to the brightness of your dawn. Mm. If we go back to verse uh, 1 there, um, and, you know, arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you, Mm. is actually a reference to Jerusalem. Mm. And we understand how God's light rose on Jerusalem when Jesus came to Jerusalem. Yes. But what's interesting here 
is that the Hebrew uh, is in the feminine singular. Oh, wow. Okay. That's interesting. Yes. Because a woman in Bible prophecy is symbolic of the church. Yes. Have you, have you done Hebrew yet? Because you're studying. Yeah, I've, I've done did, did I've, Hebrew. Yeah, I've done a bit of Hebrew. My hat comes off to you. I have my respect. <laughs> um, yeah. At Interesting. Least, I'm, I'm wondering at least, what... At least you can put that one behind you for now. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what type of verbiage it's using then, because uh, there are seven different types of verbs in Hebrew. Oh, um, so, okay. So I wonder which which version of verbs it'd be using yeah, here. It's something you can know. only kind of identify once you get into the Hebrew itself. Okay, but the cool thing about this is is that when it places it in this kind of context and you have this symbolism that starts to come through, you've got more than just Jesus Christ. You've got more than the Messiah. You have now Jesus Christ shining through his people. Yes. Which means that we can't sort of sit back and say, oh, this is a great messianic prophecy. We're so glad that Jesus did that. Mm. Wow. Mm. This is a messianic prophecy that Jesus did and is doing through us. Yes. Mm. This is a prophecy that is a call for every one of us to be involved in service for God, you know, to Jesus Christ. Um, oh, is it like, I think, do every day I become just more and more convinced of the need of mission in the Christian life. Um, and I feel like since I became a Christian, I got into, you know, volunteering, missionary work, pretty quickly um, because I saw the value in it and I was like, oh, this is something that's so interesting, so cool. This is what I want to do. I want to share Jesus with people. That's kind of how you started. Yeah, that's like like my life. But I I tell you what, like since I've been to university and during my time at uni kind of, you know, you kind of – if you're full-time at uni, you can't, you can no longer be full-time in ministry, even though you live your life as a full-time Christian. But going from full-time ministry to full-time uni, I took a step back in a, in a fair few areas where I was just like, okay, I need to focus on my life. And man, last year convinced me. I was like, man, if I don't have ministry in my walk with God, like I have nothing. Mm. Like this will abruptly come to an end or it'll just go on for a very long time where I'll be living a very mediocre Christian life. And I, I won't actually be living the life that God has called me to. Uh, and I, I can just say from personal experience, you could probably attest to this, Lyle, yourself being in ministry is just that um, yeah, ministry and, and being a light to the world, being a witness that God has called you to be is so important for spiritual health. Like we need this. It's food. It is breath, air and water. It's everything. So if you look at your experience, it's very different from mine. And I think this is this is something really worth considering. So you've come into Christianity through contact with a group of young people that are all witnessing for Jesus. Yes. You become a part of that group, so immediately you're witnessing for Jesus. Mm-hmm. You do a rise where you've got a group of young people that are all witnessing for Jesus, and then you come to a church where three people are witnessing for Jesus. Mm-hmm. That must be a bit of a shock. Yeah. It must be hard. Definitely. It's, uh, it's something that I can, I can see where it's like, you know, when you look around and you just see that there are people putting such intentional effort into doing it, you also have to understand, like, uh, I'm, I'm smart enough to understand that people do have lives and other commitments and whatnot. Sure. And, and no one, uh, there are fa- lots of people who can't be full time. But at the same time, I'm like, man, if we're not motivated in our churches to, to do this, to, to be following God, um, then there's only there's only one place it can go. You know, you're either a one or a zero. You're either going forward, growing the kingdom of God, or you're going backwards. 
You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Question of the day today. Yes, it is now time for... Question of the day. Okay, so what I wanted to do today was pick up where I left off yesterday. We were talking about a person's responsibility and what they're held accountable for as far as knowledge goes. Mm. Does God hold us accountable for, you know, the knowledge we have, the knowledge we don't have, the knowledge we could have, etc. And so I want to read a couple of passages from the Bible. This one comes from Acts chapter... It was right here. Here it is, 17 and verse 30. The Bible says, The times of our ignorance God winks at, but or winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. There's a principle here, and the principle is that Paul is saying, you know, the times of our ignorance God winked at. In other words, he turned a blind eye to it because God does not hold us accountable for what we do not know. But now commands everyone everywhere to repent. In other words, you've all heard the gospel message, so now is the time to repent. The principle very clearly outlined this, and we mentioned it yesterday, is that God holds us accountable for the knowledge that we have and also the knowledge that we have access to. Why is Paul saying God now commands everyone everywhere to repent? The reason that he's saying that in uh, this particular context is because the gospel has come to the region People have heard about the gospel. He's been there preaching about the gospel. Uh, the message has been available to everybody within that city, and because it has been available to everybody in that city, then regardless of whether you have availed yourself of that, you're, you're held accountable for that. You know, because it's one of those things you know, we can't just you know stick our fingers in our ears and say, "Look, I'm not going to study the Bible." Uh, because if I study the Bible, then I'm going to become accountable for the truths in the Bible. God's like, no, I've given you a Bible. You're accountable. That's how it works. And so, and of course, you know, it's a completely wrong attitude if we take that attitude anyway, because why wouldn't you want to study the Bible? Why wouldn't you want, why wouldn't you want to know everything that's in it? Now, the reason I wanted to come back to this is because of what it says in Romans chapter 2 and how this relates to how God relates to people who have never heard the gospel and have never had an opportunity to hear the gospel. The Bible says in Acts that God turns a blind eye to that. In Romans chapter 2, the Bible says, For as many as have sinned without the law will perish without the law. In other words, you break God's law, wages of sin is death. Those who have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. In other words, if you know the law, wages of sin is still death. It's exactly the same. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law are, ju- law are just. For when the Gentiles, which don't have the law, they've never heard of the law of God, do by nature the things contained in the law. In other words, they're law keepers because they are moral people. These, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts by the Holy Spirit. Uh, their conscience also bearing witness, their thoughts the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. And so Paul addresses this situation where there are people who have never heard the gospel and they have never had the opportunity to hear the gospel. And so some people say, well, how are those people saved? Those people are saved because God comes to everybody by the power of the Holy Spirit. Everybody has a conscience. Everybody has a right of what is, a knowledge of what is right and what is wrong. 
Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.